The class of 2001 was hailed with a storm of lighting of fury on their entrance and exit for West Point. Graduating 101 days before the tragedy of 9-11, the class of 2001 served as junior military officers during the initial phases of the war on terror and increasing positions of influence over the next 20 years. Bound together for four years in school and together in service to our nation and their communities, these are the stories of those graduates as we look through the grave. On this episode of Through the Gray, we'll be speaking with Adrian Talpan. Adrian grew up in Romania, but took the opportunity to become a foreign cadet at West Point when it became available. While at West Point, Adrian was in Delta Company 1st Regiment, Ducks, and Delta Company 4th Regiment, Dukes. Adrian fully embraced the academic challenges of West Point, earning a BS in economics, international relations, and computer science. Upon graduation from the academy, Adrian had a difficult decision to make about returning to Romania and serving in his military, or staying in the United States and trying to make an impact on the technology space and being an innovator for change. This was a great discussion and really talks about how do you free up talent to focus on the things that are difficult and hard that cannot be replicated by machines or AI. And Adrian's discussions on these topics was very insightful. Through the Gray has its first sponsor, Urban Industrial Northwest. Urban Industrial Northwest is owned and operated by my childhood friend, Greg Hostetter. Greg and I grew up playing in the woods, and hit each other with sticks. I joined the military, and Greg joined the trades. We both love the outdoors and the Pacific Northwest. Please visit his site and see the amazing work he and his team are creating. Urban Industrial Northwest is a furniture and fabrication company specializing in handcrafted products using heritage lumber deconstructed by architectural salvage companies from structures dating back to the late 1800s to early 1900s. Everything from their powder-coated hardware to their top-selling reclaimed wood desktops are carefully constructed by their team in-shop to create one-of-a-kind statement pieces for your home and office needs. Check them out on their Etsy store, Facebook, and Instagram, or give them a call at 360-703-6936. And mention this ad for a 20% military discount on your order. And to top it off, shipping is free straight to your door nationwide. Urban Industrial Northwest, giving wood a third life from tree to structure to an awesome piece of furniture. All right. Good morning, Adrian Talpan. Uh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Joe. Pleasure to be here. And so as our first foreign uh, exchange cadet, we're going to unwrap a big question. Why West Point? Um, well, Joe... It's, uh, you know, I, I'm, com I'm coming from Romania. And, uh, and I remember being, I think, 11 years old or so when we had a big revolution in 1989 when we switched from communism to something <laughs> sort of want to become a democracy and capitalism, but not quite. Uh, but, you know, transforming, just shedding off communism. And, and I remember... Um, going to the British Council and reading some things, uh, uh, you know, about the American culture, 
uh, reading about America. And it just so felt, it felt so different. And it felt like uh, we've been living in a bubble and the world was so much bigger than, than just Romania and just kind of what uh, I thought it was. So I always dreamt about sort of like what would be like to live in America? What would be like to to be as one of these uh, uh, entrepreneurs or pioneers? Um, you know, so that's that's always been my uh, my my dream. And I guess um, uh, my parents come from uh, from modest backgrounds. They literally. Uh, the first generation that left the countryside and went to the city, and um, and so they they wanted me to 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 go as far as I could, and uh, and they you know they didn't have enough resources to help both my sister and I through through school. So uh, my sister went to med school and I went to the military, and uh, while while I was in military high school. I realized that uh, I really wanted to explore going to America. And the uh, United States just included Romania in the countries that could apply to go to the military academies. And, uh, and so in the second year since this program was on, my buddy George Sonat and I um, went through the ranks, qualified, and and came to West Point and sort of started the adventure, the American adventure here. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's it's been a ride, and it's been everything I wanted to, I was hoping for, and more. So, what did you have to do, um, you and George, to separate yourselves and get yourselves identified um, as potential cadets? Yeah, so. Because the U.S. government was paying for the tests, um, there could only be, I believe, um, up to five uh, students that could attempt the the exams. And so in order to qualify for these, we had an internal competition in the military academy in Romania. And, you know, we had to do well in math and chemistry and physics and psychology and all sorts of things <laughs> besides just uh, sports. And so, uh, so then, uh, then three of us were selected besides George and me, there was another kid. His name was, uh, uh Dian Tanasescu and he's, he, he's now in France. Um, so, uh, we went through, we did a physical the same way that, that you guys all did. Um, we we did the SAT and uh, we had an interview with the military attaché. And um, ultimately, you know, yeah, I did really good on the SAT and I guess physically I'm skinny, but <laughs> still skinny. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, relative to my muscle, I guess I did okay. But I think ultimately it must have been the United States strategic interest in that region of the world. Uh, I think that was the biggest reason why George and I came to were were admitted to West Point. And uh, I, I, I've met so many, so many smart people, way smarter than me. And I think ultimately luck has a lot to do with it. And so I would say that 
uh, yeah, you got to be good and all of that. But ultimately, you also have to be lucky. And um, I think both George and I were very lucky. So before entering into West Point, did they do some sort of like preparation course or here's like a quick down and dirty of U.S. history? Here's a down and dirty of, of how we do things here. Or was it just boom, straight into the into the frying pan? Uh, yeah, we had a briefing from uh, County Intelligence, and it went something like, listen, don't speak to strangers. Don't speak to foreigners. <laughs> <laughs> which which was actually serious advice, <laughs> which was like, what? <laughs> uh, okay. But um, no, not a whole lot. Uh, no. Um, just, uh, you know, just Make sure you, you, besides yourself, you represent your country. Um, don't make a fool of yourself. Don't make a fool of who we are. You represent us and be the best that you can, which uh, which I hope both George and I, uh, well, I know, uh, did, did, did well with that. And so two years of experience with the Romanian military um, and then coming into West Point, how did that um, initiation into Beast and then academics go? Well, let me just say it was quite a contrast. Um, so I remember the first rock march that we had. And you get this, the most comfortable boots. And, you know, you have your backpack and you also have your sneakers in case something happens and you need to change into your sneakers. Um, you have medical with you. You have uh, stops where you get where you get bananas and yogurts and like freshers. And so contrast that to our march in Romania, where you know I was skinny and short, and so the uniform that I got was kind of long and you know shabby, sitting all over. And the boots that we got were. I guess brand new, but the Romanian brand new. And that is, you know, you do your first march and you have nails sticking out uh, <laughs> from underneath. And so um, after about 20 kilometers, yeah, my feet were bloody and uh, I could barely walk. And uh, uh, and there's a difference there. The difference is that, you know, West Point, it's all about expanding your your horizon and pushing your limits but not in a sort of brute way but in a sort of like okay let's start at whatever level you are and let's make you 10x 100x better from where you are versus saying that okay well we're gonna just see how much you can take and uh, hopefully you're still gonna be with us once it's all over. So um, I I love my business experience. I didn't think it was too complex, too hard. I think it was just right. Um, and <laughs> my plea beer, however, was interesting because um, I had to take swimming twice. My parents had this idea that if they don't teach my sister and I how to swim, then we will not be inclined to jump in a pool or anywhere, and therefore we will be safe. <laughs> so I had no idea how to swim. And I remember the first test, everybody jumps in, and then I swim. I think I'm doing a fantastic job. I'm like, 
proud of myself. I'm moving really fast, moving my arms, moving my legs. And I, I keep going, I keep going. I, I see the other kids coming from the other side. And I'm, like, I'm like, I got this. It's okay. And I keep going, I keep going. They're, they're going. They, they went back and they passed me again. And then by the time I got to the middle of the pool, I'm like, I'm drowning. So I, I grabbed the... <laughs> <laughs> I dr- I grabbed that uh, that that uh, divider thing and uh, yeah, so uh, I felt swimming, and they had to pull me out from the bottom with uh, with a net, and um, and I I uh, I managed to pass the second time. Um, the instructor also introduced me to this American tradition called Twinkies, and uh, that, that was awesome. Um. Boxing was not my forte. Uh, Jimmy Park was in, my, in the same group with me, mm-hmm. and I just like he beat me up pretty bad. I mean, I don't know what he remembers, but I, I mean, <laughs> those two minutes were like the longest two minutes that, <laughs> that I've ever encountered. Uh, you know, it's. <laughs> So I was not good at that. However, with gymnastics, because I'm Romanian, everybody expected that I'm just going to do nothing because I'm Romanian and therefore I'm great. So right. <laughs> luckily, I guess I was flexible. So that was that was easy. But um, yeah, um, my my plea beer was was quite interesting. I I love how um, how busy you got and how involved you were with everything i i re- appreciate the fact that you have that regimented sort of like here's your military activities here's your uh, academics here's your, here's your sports and 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 i think i think what west point does a fantastic job is really training you to compartmentalize how you kind of break down your activities your your life and be able to to, to to give enough energy, enough focus to each, and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my trip. I enjoyed my entire time at the academy. It was a great experience. So, how difficult or how easy was it to make relationships and build relationships uh, while there? Because you have this super easy. the first group of people from multiple states, multiple countries, multiple backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was super easy. And I think it's sort of like America has changed, uh, I, f- I feel, from back when we were in school and back how it was back then and where it is today. But um, everybody was so welcoming. I remember when I when when we came here as foreign cadets, you actually uh, have a sponsor, which in our case, it was both me and George, we, we had Major Mike and uh, and uh, so I think, and he, his wife was a um, history teacher, and I think he was teaching uh, military, some military program. Um, and so, uh, so so we came here a week earlier, and just the most um, the most the most welcoming family. Um, they were from Texas, so you know. Uh, barbecue and watching movies and watch movies loud. It was just like such such great wholesome experience. And then the classmates were um, 
I guess they were some of them has had never left the country, so they they were curious. Like, oh, look at this kid that sort of speaks funny because I <laughs> I I I, uh, I I did good in writing and read and reading, but I didn't really speak much. So, um, so anyway, uh, they were yeah, they were incredibly 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 uh, welcoming and incredibly uh, nurturing. Um, so. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. It was great. I remember, um, I remember the first disassembly of the M16. So um, I had trained on uh, the equivalent of an AK-47, and with that one, it just you know, you, you it's super easy to take apart, and the the pieces are just big, and they're right there. Well, with the M16, there was this little pin that um, I guess I lost it on my first disassembly. And, you know, I tried to put a gun back together and it wouldn't work. And my squad leader, um, when I show him what's going on, you know, we had back, we, we had gone back. He, he was actually very calm. Uh, he didn't yell at me, which is what I was expecting. He said, okay, I understand the problem. How do you propose you solve it? I'm like, well, uh, I can go and look for it. It's like, okay, that's a good idea. Do you know where it was? Like, uh, yes. So then we went and we were lucky to find it. So, um, so, so the, what I, what I remember, what I appreciate most is this, um, nurturing, friendly, um, competitive environment, but in a good way, in a way that's sort of like we're on the same team and let's make everybody stronger. And that's that's something that once you no longer at West Point, you kind of crave you for, I don't know, for the rest of your life, because it's such a um, such a uh, sort of pure um, goodness, excellent driven environment. So, yeah, that's uh, that's 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 what I remember back then. And uh, and it was. Yeah, like the kids, the, every, every every classmate that I've encountered with, that I've had anything, uh, any work with or any activity with, was just, um, yeah, was just a great person, which speaks volumes about, I guess, the selection process of the academy as well. And so choice of degrees and choice of, of areas of study what made you uh, choose uh, economics, international relations, and computer science? Um, well, so economics and international relations, that was easy. I come from communism and uh, a central planning system, and I wanted to learn about democracy and capitalism. Little did I learn, did I know then that economics has nothing to do with capitalism, with business. It's just you know, high level, either macro or micro, it's, uh, it's just not, <laughs> not the same thing as business. But, uh, but that, that was the, the rationale for it. And um, I, I guess at the, when I was com- coming from Romania, you, you have very strong math program, very strong computer science program. So I felt that, you know, even though my math teachers and computer science teachers wanted me to major in math and computer science, I felt that I was sort of cheating if I did that because um, 
that was going to be a little easier than having to write lots of papers as a foreign cadet in a language that's you know not your native language. And uh, yeah, so that's how economics and international relations happen. Computer science, uh, let's see. I think I put electrical first, mechanical, environmental, and I think <laughs> computer science was not the last one. And because of the time, I think everybody was running away from computer science. <laughs> I, I, I guess they gave it to me. So, uh, so yeah, I ended up with computer science as a engineering track, which is which is great actually. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And so, the, harkening back, you and I were both in in uh, D four uh, Delta Company Fourth Regiment, and I remember senior year. Uh, you messing around because your your brain is enormous and and school was too easy with stocks. What was that like? <laughs> well, let me tell you, uh, I was not doing good. <laughs> so, and, and the the brain is not big enough, uh, <laughs> or maybe or maybe the brain is the, is is not uh, is not the problem. It's the emotions that's the problem. But it's part of my learning about capitalism and what makes America great, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, even after that, I've been working on all sorts of algorithms to do all sorts of things. Uh, but ultimately, I'm sort of self-sabotaging because anything that I get involved myself in, things can always be optimized, can always be improved. And so <laughs> I derail the whole process. And uh, trading and emotions don't really match don't really come together. Um, but anyway, so it was part of the exploration. So what I really loved about my time at the Academy is that you have this environment where everybody's so nurturing. And essentially it's like, okay, well, how big are my wings? How can I find out? When can I, what's my breaking limit? So like doing these sort of experiments is like the perfect environment for it, right? So. Um, so I remember I, I had eight academic classes one semester and I had to get permission for, from the Dean for that. Um, and yeah, it was like sleeping three, four hours a night for a semester, but, but I loved it. And then, you know, after that, the, the, the following semester, it was, I think it was only six. It was like so easy. It's like coasting, not doing anything. Um, <laughs> But it's it's the one one regret that I have is that you know in Romania you 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 when you think of school you think of academics right and so there there are all these clubs and there are all these athletics all these other programs and one well, my regret my my big regret is that I have not really gotten involved in those things um, only towards the end I got involved with some uh, model UN and uh, well I was also involved with uh, this international cadet club um, but. Uh, but I did not appreciate the role of sport in sort of like the uh, the, the creation of a sort of um, uh, endurance um, athlete, an athlete not in, not only in the sports sense, but also in the sort of like um, a life sense, right? How you deal with failure, how you bounce back from failure how you deal with uh, pain, 
how you deal with um, with all sorts of different emotions, uh, relationships. So, uh, you know, I'm that's something that I I wish I was involved more in, and I I've experienced it with with most of uh, most of our classmates. But uh, yeah, if I were to do it again, I'd I'd be joining probably every club. So. <laughs> That's what I'm telling my kids now. Just go and just be part of everything. Explore everything. So, yeah. Definitely. There's a lot to be gained um, in everything you just said. Uh, The idea of putting your body at risk uh, to taxing your emotions, taxing yourself physically. There's a lot to be gained there. And so as as we're getting closer to graduating from West Point, like what was what was at the end of the tunnel for most of us? It was boom commissioning, becoming a lieutenant in the U.S. Army. What was at the end of the tunnel for you? Yeah, so it was uh, it was a big decision. What do I do? Um, I had a ten year commitment to the Romanian military, which you know, ten years is a long time, but it's especially uh, something that you kind of want to consider deeply uh, when the environment that you're in is not sort of like uh, the environment that you uh, that you that you want to create. What I mean by that is that uh, at the time there was a lot of nepotism in the military, and um, I was actually a threat both my superiors and um and to my uh, uh to my underlings so to speak and because because um um i i i view things differently i did things differently and so um to help me make this decision um for as for for my ctlt i did a national security study in romania where i um, i analyzed okay well what is my chance of actually being able to make a true difference here? And, you know, without having any connections, without just, just, just for myself. And I concluded that the probability of that is very, very, very slim as to as almost zero. So then, you know, what do you do? If you're going to do something bad, my, my, my philosophy has always been just get on with it soon. And like, as, as painful as it needs to be, it needs to be, I rip off the bandage and kind of like move on. So, um, so I made a decision to leave the military after to leave the Romanian military after graduation. And uh, so, um, George and I went to went back to Romania. Um, we graduated with a with a class um, in Romania, and uh, um, and after that. I resigned and George stayed on for, I think, another couple of years. Um, it was, it was a very painful decision. It was, it was definitely not what duty on a country tells you to do. And it's something that it's always going to be a chip on my shoulder, but, um, but I made it and, uh, I'm, um, I'm happy with the with the final outcomes, and uh, I hope that uh, um, 
through my actions, I I was able to make a difference in another way, both in Romania and here in the States. So um, uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and And so you go to Romania and then you come back to the United States? Yeah. So, um, before I left the United States, I, um, I actually had a couple of interviews and, um, I ended up getting a job offer from, uh, this, uh, place called economy.com in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And, uh, I'd be working for Mark Zandi, who, by the way, Mark Zandi is now the uh, chief economist for Moody Analytics. The Moody Analytics acquired economy.com. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, um, I explained to them the situation and, uh, they were flexible with my situation and, uh, went to Romania, I did my thing and came back and then I started life here. Now, talk me through becoming, um, a founder of a company. And so you're, you're working, um, in the United States, you're working in a company. What what caused you to kind of strike out on your own? Um, well, remember, I was always fascinated about what makes what makes America great, and and so I looked at uh, sort of Americans being pioneers, being sort of um, the, you know the people at the frontier. Um, pushing the boundaries. And so uh, like mentally, that's how I sort of formed myself. And at West Point, I, I continued uh, sort of trying to push my boundaries, trying to see like what, what could be. Um, I remember the, in the last year, for example, uh, we, we did this uh, cyber uh, security exercise and we created a framework for the, uh, for the like, you know, so cybersecurity games that, the Naval Postgrad School and the Military Academy is running. And so, like, uh, I'm, my mind is always looking at, like, how can something be um, optimized? How can, how can you create something that can make a difference? And how can that look like? And so that's, I guess that's how I'm built. And through my, um, through my education, that's, that's been further uh, polished. So, so when I was at economy.com, I was hired to be uh, as an associate economist. So I was writing these economic praises, which are these you know couple page documents that go in uh, detail into specific metro areas or in, or in a specific industry. Really cool, actually. I didn't appreciate it as much at the time, but it's it's really cool. And uh, so while I was there, I immediately figure out ways to improve the, some of the processes, the processes that, that, that they were doing. And so they, they, they said, well, you should also, you know, if you want, you can move to, to development. And while I was there, I met uh, uh, one of my future business partners and, uh, and uh, with, with another one that um, they, he had just come from a uh, failed startup in California and like he was the the first example for me of um, entrepreneurship. Like, oh yeah, look, like startups, you can do these things. So so 
we decided to uh, to do our own, to to uh, do our own business, essentially helping pharmaceutical companies run complex multinational clinical trials. So you may ask, like, well, what is idea? What did this idea come from? So uh, this buddy of mine, um, he was doing some consulting for a competitor in the space, and he learned about the space through that. And he figured that, well, the technology is not all that complex. Um, you, you could do with something better. So it took us three years to, uh, to convince one pharma company that we're actually serious. And then uh, from there, very quickly, we started working with seven of the top 10 pharma companies and grew to over 100 employees. And uh, it was a fun ride. Um, but yeah, so... Sooner or later, it was gonna be it was it was gonna happen because that's uh, you know, from being a child, being an, like thinking as an inventor and just reading books like Al Newhart, Confessions of an SOB in Romania, of how <laughs> you know Gannett USA Today, how the, the first true national newspaper was created, like the first time uh, satellites were being used to beam information back and forth and print the same paper in multiple locations, just. That's that's um, you know that, that's that's what fascinates me from from that to you know how how Apple creates products or um, or how Tesla is screwing up a Cybertruck and leaves room for Rivian to come and create something that now they have to delay with the Cybertruck because you know Rivian's truck is so much better. So like anyway, that's these are the, the areas that sort of fascinate me, and I guess I'm being drawn to. And so with clerics, you revolutionize, your team revolutionizes um, the speed with which clinical trials can be executed, um, mainly because you're pulling in stakeholders and you're communicating better across that kind of whole enterprise, which before was basically herding cats. Um, and you you guys do awesome with that, um, with the the software side what was it like doing the hardware not the hardware but the 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 people the hundred uh employees what was that like transitioning from just doing the software to to leading people yeah so um so our competitive advantage at clarix was this app block framework where we we were able to unify the the way you would program a phone interface with a web interface so it would be essentially the same interface and the benefit of that was uh, the the reason for that was the reduction of risk because you're dealing with you know medications and patients, and the secondary benefit of that is you don't have to code twice the same thing. You you have one code that you want to test it; it's working both. Um, so uh, yeah, when we in our growth phase, uh, managing people is. Is a challenge you know, when you grow fast. Um, you have to uh, you have to surround yourself with people that uh, are really strong in this area. Um, I think when it comes to people management, I probably am not the best. I like to inspire folks. I like to um, I like to get um, ideas off the ground and sort of like think over the ideas. But uh, I was very fortunate that the team that we had, we had, we had, you know, uh, other team members that were, they were very strong on the sort of like HR side and uh, helping to um, helping to put together a great team. And so, Clerics, 
um, is purchased by another company. And yeah, so we dealt with. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, and it was just like, uh, what was that like? Um, going from uh, basically being a, a startup, small company, and then just being absorbed by a larger company, um, and then that decision to move on. Sure. So what happened was, um, so we we dealt with the operational side of clinical trials, sort of like you know. Um, like what medication to ship where in the world, in what quantity, how to label it. Um, and um, and then in, a, in the course of a clinical trial, you also deal with the data piece, right? So the data that you collect to actually uh, make your uh, your argument that your medication is doing better than, than what else, something else, right? And so... Um, so the company that acquired us was a leader in this other piece in, in electronic data capture called Phase Forward. So uh, it made typically in the course of a trial you you need both. So it made complete sense to to unite forces. Um, and you know two years after that, Oracle decided to purchase this combined entity. And so um, it was different. It was definitely different. There were uh, Phase Forward was much bigger than us. And you you know you're dealing with the integration process, and then then comes Oracle, which is like a really big organization, and I guess it's just too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like to, I like to stay nimble. I like to I like to be able to um, have an influence and do something about some anything tomorrow, like in like today like to, today tomorrow quickly, right? When you have a large organization, it takes a lot more. It's it's a lot more political, and you sort of like walk away from the nature of the innovation itself, and sort of like you know things get muddled up a little bit. So, um, yeah, like any transition, things are things are different. But uh, uh, companies do this all the time, and in many cases it works, and in others it doesn't. Uh, in general, M and A hasn't had the best of uh, um, reputation out there. Um, about I think about sixty to seventy percent of transactions actually don't end up working in the long term. But uh, but for our case, it was it was the right decision. And I think you know once Oracle acquired the combined entity, they lost. Uh, they lost uh, the, the the competitive edge to newcomers, so it's one of the things of uh, uh, large companies sort of not not putting enough focus on innovation. In my experience, um, and then on the outside looking in, there are are people that are wired for passion, and there are people who are mm-hmm. wired for process, and so they have the passion to mm-hmm. solve problems. Or they have the 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 desire to create processes to prevent problems, and sometimes, um, sometimes you can't transition from one to the other, or you can't do both, and so you have to choose. Right, which one can I do? Which one's my real forte? And process people sometimes yeah, drive, sure. drive passion people crazy. <laughs> <laughs> They're both needed, and you're you're absolutely right. And like striking that right balance is absolutely critical. 
Um, so, you know, with clerics, we had to make sure that uh, we don't kill people, right? So process was very, very, very important. Yet within this framework, there was a lot of room to really uh, change things. So we could do in two to four weeks what the best in the market needed two to four months. And, and that was a competitive advantage, right? And at every business that I've started since then, I was always looking for something that really gives me that strong competitive advantage that either buys you time or, or puts enough moat around you that um, sort of allows you to operate uh, more or less kind of on your own without, uh, <laughs> without um, you know, without having to worry too much about what the competition is doing. And so you move on um, from Phase Forward and from Clerics. Talk me through the startup of, of House Picks and what was that like? Yeah, so um, so after selling Clerics, I, I bought a house. Well, I got married, I bought a house. And then I learned, learned about the pains of actually being a homeowner. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what, I really wished I knew when was the last time the roof was replaced or the windows were replaced. Like what kind of windows were they? What kind of, like all, all sorts of details. Maybe maybe I'm just too much of a geek and maybe I'm just too much of a sort of anal person. And I'm just interested in really weird details. But I thought that would be kind of cool to have all that stuff, right? It would be kind of cool also to figure out, you know, which contractors should I be working with, especially if you move into an area. And so... So that's how House Fix came about. Thought about it as sort of the social networking of home contracting. So at the time, social networking was a was a big thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we, we put it together and uh, got it launched at TechCrunch Disrupt as a finalist. I was on the stage with Mark Zuckerberg's sister. Uh, don't look for my videos because I had braces on at the time. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's not a nice sight. See? Um, and about, um, about, uh, nine months after that, uh, I made the conclusion that, yeah, this is a great idea, but it's ultimately a marketing game. So it's not something that technology by itself can, can make a difference. So at the time, our, one of our competitors was Angie's List and they're literally purchasing leads at $81 a pop. So in order to succeed here, you had to basically spend a lot of money on marketing. And so that's when I realized that, well, I need to learn a little bit more about business, which is, you know, I did a, I did a course at Wharton on competitive advantage. And then I did this uh, owner president management program at Harvard just to, to round out my understanding on business. Um, yeah, so... Decided to wind it down, but I'm not kidding. I'm getting phone calls even now from people or LinkedIn requests. And then we have convos about people that are trying to recreate something like that because uh, it introduced some interesting concepts like the, the sort of like the Carfax uh, score for contractors and these like virtual drawers. You have information, but ultimately uh, it was not the right project for sort of like my interest in my team. And, um, you know, even though when after TechCrunch disrupt, I got to visit uh, the Sequoia office, um, Seth Sternberg, 
who is now running Honor, was uh, uh, became a friend, and we uh, we explored some things together at that time. Um, you know, ultimately, this was not the right fit for kind of like you know my team. So I decided to just wind it down and uh, look for the next thing. So that's uh, that's why I ended up. Um, being an EIR with uh, Dream Adventures, and uh, that sort of uh, transition into the next engagement with uh, um, with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, where I co-founded um, Haystack Informatics with the CMIO, Dr. Bimal Desai. And, uh, oh, somewhere in, in between these, Apple Watch was created, and since I'm a tech geek, I'm like, oh, that's cool. So what can you do? This like what would be a killer app. And I thought, oh, since it's so personal, it would be really cool to be able to track your your uh, your mood throughout the day, your emotions. And wouldn't it be nice to sort of like be able to to know how you feel and then um, and then um, you know with other measurements, it sort of provides a good picture around your your the state of your mental health and so i created with my wife um uh, unleash me which was a which was an app for um uh, the phone and, and the watch um and unfortunately haystack uh, took too much of my time and i unleash me went by the wayside um however it's uh it's something that i might pick up again at some point because it's uh mental health and um and sort of like living a fulfilling life um staying in the optimal zone or, or you know uh, things that i'm keenly interested in an entrepreneur tends to live a lot in the red zone and uh, in the very intense area and if you're not balanced enough you can easily burn yourself out you can burn your family out you can burn your relationships. You can do a lot of bad things. So mental state is very important. So anyway, so that's that's why I end up with uh, the next thing, which was Haystack uh, Informatics, which was the big data play for healthcare. Let me hit those two real quick. Um, so Housefix trying to solve the problem of linking a small business um, with reputation and trust to the individual homeowner and then also credit the ability to have a history of who's worked on this house, what's happened at this house. And then with Unleash Me, you're, you're trying to get after two very difficult problems. And, and sometimes the tools aren't available or the time isn't available um, to solve those things. And then spe specifically with House Fix, that is a problem that a lot of people have been trying to solve. Um, so the inability to solve it on your first go isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, and I think I didn't appreciate at the time the um, um, the way the health system actually works. Where you have this, you know, uh, uh, you have the the the, the three way system. You have the uh, the pairs. You have the providers, and you have the patients. Right. You have the insurance right. companies. The, the doctors and you have the patients. And so um, actually another West Pointer, Chris Molinaro created Neuroflow, which um, 
think when I was when I was doing Dream It, I met up with him, and so initially he was gonna do some sort of band to monitor um, brain waves, and then he transitioned to an app to basically track your emotional state throughout the day. And he he did a great he 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 did a great job with that. He he got the model right to get the payers, the insurance companies, to pay for this thing, and and uh, it's been doing great. And it's it's great that he's done that because you know with with all the wars that that we've had, being able to provide any sort of help um, to to our folks in the military. Um, is is something that I deeply admire, and so you know, even though I didn't go anywhere with Unleash Me, I'm I'm glad that uh, um, that Chris, another West Pointer, was able to to kind of uh, go in this direction and and make some headway and really help um, a ton of people with this. Yeah, it's it that idea of like a personal dashboard where you can see if you're redlining. Or if you're moving too hard, or you're moving too fast, or you're running out of gas, um, with biometric, yeah. extremely helpful. Sure. And so, Haystack. Um, when you guys did that in Philadelphia, what was the the real intent? What were you try, trying to get after? So, it was something that I don't know if it may come to me. It may come as a shock to many folks. It was a shock to me. Which is this. But if you think about it, it's not a shock. It makes sense. Um, if you set foot in a healthcare setting, you're sort of in a uh, um, information-rich environment where there's a ton of information about you. There's a lot of tracking about you, right? Um, they have Wi-Fi pumps that... Um, that <laughs> uh, that uh, dispense medication. And so, so all this information is being captured. It's, uh, it's available, right? So healthcare, the way it's structured in, in the United States, uh, it's, it's there, there's this big brain called the EHR, the electronic health record system, which, you know, you have two big companies, Epic and Cerner running these things. And, um, and so, so think of it as sort of like the brain, right? And everything is connected to these things, right? All the data comes in. And so, you know, you typically it's it's all about security. Well, we want to make sure that the bad guys don't have access to these things. But it's also this thing called privacy, which, I, you know, up until then, I didn't really think about it. But what about healthcare staff that actually are snooping on patient data? What about, you know, your neighbor? that may be a doctor at the hospital that you go to and checking out, uh, you know, whether your wife is going to be pregnant anytime soon or not or whatever. Right. So, so, um, so when I learned about this thing and I, you know, the, the government uh, dictates that, uh, that healthcare systems um, put in place protections against this sort of internal snooping and uh, and you know there's there's a high tech uh, act that's supposed to have the the, the clause to, to to provide the punishment and anyway so so uh, it was an opportunity to work on big data sets with uh, one of the most inventive uh, brilliant 
uh, folks that I've met, like the Bimo Desai, the chief medical information officer at CHOP. CHOP stands for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, so when we sat down to look at the business case for this, it became obvious that, well, it's not just, you know, you want to to do things right for by the patients, but it's it's something that's that's required and the tools available is essentially what were rudimentary, essentially manual work. So so we created this this system that ingested massive amounts of uh, metadata from electronic health record systems. So to give give you a sense of the scale, um, like you know in in every 30 minutes, we would be getting five gigabytes of data from just one customer. And then you're supposed to analyze this data in context over multiple years. So you, you spin up these massive uh, computers, uh, do the analysis, and then wind them back down. Um, and anyway, so we created this, this system to help patient privacy officers uh, figure out uh, what's happening inside the health system. And... As we collected all that data, we realized. So uh, we realized that there's there's another usage of this. Um, when I was uh, doing my OPM program at Harvard, I've learned about uh, activity-based costing, which essentially says that well, um, every so you know if you want to, to figure out how long how much something costs, right? It's not just the raw ingredients; it's understanding. Who is involved in in those in in the creation of that widget or service, and how much time they're spending, and what's what's their you know what's the value that is being provided, and like what's their what's their cost? So you know if I have somebody that's that gets paid hundred thousand a year uh, doing some work, right? Uh, five minutes five minutes of that person's time is different than than you know somebody that that earns more or less right so so accurately uh, understanding the cost structure is important so we using the same data we put together a bottom up activity based costing model which uh, which showed which uh, which uh, staff were most at risk of burnout uh, which were the ones that really know the EHR and could be training others and uh, you know like all sorts of you could explore all sorts of uh, questions and the data through the data you could uh, you could get that information so yeah so um, with haystack um, about three years into it we uh, we ended up selling to um, to a competitor that was they had a there was you know they they created a space of the market but their technology was older so they needed to replace their technology with something next generation, so uh, so they you know they they were bigger. They acquired us, and uh, it was it was it was nice exit, and it was also um, uh, the first uh, I guess uh, Canadian uh, publicly listed company that uh, this entity was part of that we exited to. So that was kind of neat. How do you? Um... When you have a problem set that is that complex, how do you go about breaking it down into those small chunks? Uh, going back to how like West Point helps you um, break complexity and difficulty into into manageable chunks. 
I mean, just looking at the sheer volume of what you were doing with Haystack, how did you break that problem into chunks that were manageable? Um, uh, I guess it's a, it's not an easy question to answer, but, um, it comes with a deep domain expertise, which I did not have my co-founder Doug decide had. So, um, you, you, so you, you have to figure out what, what do you need to prioritize? What is the one thing that if you did that one thing that would truly make a difference? And they want to spend most of your energy on that one thing. Right. And, um, and in the course of that, there may be two, three other supporting things that are needed to make that one thing really great. And so, so you kind of think this way. And if you just simplify it to the core, um, I guess that's, that's, how, that's how you peer through the complexity. Because all you, you know, a lot of stuff can be, can be created, can be very fluffy with all kinds of, all kinds of things that uh, from a product development perspective can take a lot of time to build and they're not really relevant, right? But if you focus on the one thing that really makes an impact, um, yeah, I think that's that's uh, maybe a simple rule to to peer through complexity. And so you um, you move on from Haystack and to your current endeavor, which is Speed Navigator. What's the problem set you're solving there? Yeah, so. Um, Buddy of mine, um, who happens to be a Romanian as well, <laughs> um, um, you know, when when I was doing uh, Haystack, um, he asked me to 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 join his board at the company he had started, Finotis, and he, he you know this is the payment space, and what he was trying to do was, <clears throat> um automate a way to analyze a specific type of statement called merchant statement. So the merchant payments industry is very uh, opaque. It has a long tail. So there are you know, a few large players, but there's a lot of smaller ones because the large players can allow others to customize these reports. So, so what ends up happening is you have a lot of um, confusion as to as a as a um, as a uh, as someone who accepts payments as to how much you're really paying. So so the problem that the, that the, the the way the market is structured, you have you know you have merchants that accept payments, and you have this it's called the acquiring industry that in quotes acquire these merchants, essentially provide these merchants uh, payment solutions. And so in order to do so. They need to understand uh, what what suite of solutions, what what suite of um, technologies these merchants have today, and how much they're paying today, and they want to provide a better solution for them. <clears throat> and to do that, they need to <clears throat> sorry, they need to uh, at some point analyze to see, you know, what's what's in these statements, and so that's a a very laborious process and it takes experts to do it. And uh, so what my body was trying to do was 
um, automate this. And uh, long story short, um, I ended up partnering with him. We created Finavigator, and uh, we became the market leading solution for this type of analysis. And uh, um, you know, through this process, we <clears throat> we're going to be launching soon another solution that we we, we created, which is um, sort of an AI virtual agent. So imagine that that the conversations that that folks have with each other, like or sales folks, um, <clears throat> you go to a prospect and you have a conversation with a prospect. Uh, get some data, come back. You you put in a CRM, and then you you kick off some internal processes, some inter- internal tools, some forms that get created. Anyway, so we're building this solution, uh, this solution that will uh, orchestrate everything. So you know you're gonna have something on on the web that looks like a form, but behind it's a full compute um, and uh, user experience customization platform that will orchestrate the middleware, the other components, the other services that you may have to provide a, a specific service. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's uh, um, I, I guess I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really liking exploring what technologies can do. And, uh, and you probably heard up to now all sorts of different things that I that I have done or I have, or I have attempted, uh, and that's sort of part of who I am. I, I guess I'm an inventor. I'm, I like to innovate. I like to to break things, and I like to to imagine how things could be if they were very different. So, um, yeah, Joe. So <laughs> maybe that was a little too extensive of an answer. No, no, it's it's exactly right. I mean, because you see this trend over and over again, and in, in, in the companies um, that you're building and working with, and also in the problems you're trying to solve, is things that could be automated, um, things that could be um, made more efficient. You're attempting to do that with a a software centric system, um, and so you're killing cube farms full of white collared workers is that work necessary and is that accurate and is it um the best way to do it and the the answer is probably no and you're 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 relieving that talent to move on to other more difficult problems and there's value well joe exactly right and is exactly right and and uh, and people really have to realize that there is a lot that us as humans can do um there's this great movie. Um, I think it's just it's called Go, which which shows how um, this artificial intelligence program won against the best player of Go, which you know nobody thought it would be possible. And you, it, it expresses this sort of like human fear of technology and sort of like what you what you do. But if you go back to, <clears throat> I guess when the cards were invented, right? Um, the the projections for uh, were that Manhattan was going to be by the 1930s or 1940s was going to be uh, like uh, I think I think two or three feet deep in in horse manure because they're gonna be there's gonna be so many so many horses going around and because of the population and it's gonna be terrible right 
And then the car was invented and everybody's like making fun of it, right? And then people learn that, you know, the car is good and they can take advantage. It's just, this is true with everything else. And there is, there is an explosion of <clears throat> the way the world could be reimagined for the better by, by partnering with technology and not, you know, not staying away from it, taking advantage of it and making it do the things that you want to do. Um, so would, would, I don't know, would, would you like to go back to a time before Wikipedia, before Google, before Alexa? It's, it's <laughs> kind of hard. It's kind of hard in today's time. It's like, how do you do that? <laughs> and, 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 and our electric cars. But um, I think, you know, I think there's this sort of romanticism that people have about the, the life that used to be like, oh, back in the day, my parents, they... They would go work in the factory. They would come home. It would be family time. We'd be watching TV, um, and and I think, you know, some folks are still thinking that turning back the clock is is a possibility, and they're sort of longing for that. But the problem with that is that not only is it impossible is it impossible to do it, uh, but it takes away from the magic and the wonder and the possibilities of crafting in today's world, which has its challenges. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not all right. The, the, you know, the way, the way these recommendation algorithms got us all to live into these bubbles and, you know, help contribute to the breaking of the society. Um, you know, this, not, not everything is good for sure, but you know, progress or advancement in anything involves a lot of failure. And as long as we don't kill ourselves in the process, there is a, uh, there's a, there, you know, there's a chance to make a nice world in the future. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what everything I'm doing. I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking for that, you know, how can I contribute? I think that's you, you get this very deeply from West Point, this idea of contribution that you you want to help in one way or another, however you can. You want you want to contribute, you want to make something better, you want to um to add something to this world. And I guess my way of doing it is through through technology and through these explorations I'm having through my businesses. Yeah. And um well said. I mean, it's just amazing when you look at the impact that some of these, uh, some of these efforts that you're making and other people are making can have. Um, if you look at like legal zoom, I remember in the eighties growing up and watching like LA law and all these court dramas. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was such a small percentage of lawyers. The, the majority of lawyers are just filling out new forms to start a business or filling out a form to, uh, establish, um, an environmental assessment policy or something. And that's all stuff that could be automated and put online. And now the the number of lawyers across the United States has dropped because of something simple as LegalZoom, because you can now do it online and do it yourself. And that same with what you're doing with Fee Navigator uh, and then what you did with Clerics uh, and Haystack. Uh, and you're freeing up that talent to do more important, more important, less drudgery of work, the dull, dumb, dirty, and dangerous stuff. Getting rid of that, you know. Right? That's that's exactly right. 
that that's exactly right that's exactly right that's 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 what we as humans contribute the 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 extra thing that the ai and these other systems can't really do so um yeah in the legal space there's a lot of, of work that was done to automate a lot of things um just recently i was reading an article about uh, the art space being shaken up this ai um picture um won a competition um in some you know place in denver but it was a new york times and it was down through this program called mid journey and then um uh, then i'm like oh what is that let, let, let me check it out and i got the kids involved and it's like really really amazing you just tell it in words kind of like what you want to create and it creates it it creates it's just like really really beautiful and then open ai has this thing called dal e dal d-a-l-l slash e uh which same idea where you you know you you tell it what to do and you want to 3d rendering or you want like you know impressionist painting whatever um and artists are all up in arms like what is this abomination and then sure enough when when the camera was invented um the painters had the same feeling which is which was like oh this is terrible like why would you do, want to do that? Camera should be banned. Like you, you, you don't want to take a picture, but it's it's sort of like process of evolution. The thing is, how much can we create together with technology? How much can we create together with AI? Um, you know, where where can we find the end? Where, what's what's the final point? And it's it's sort of you stretch that because it's 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 I know what the final point is, right? Um, I remember when this program AlphaGo, which was trained on human knowledge, uh, won, uh, played against AlphaGo Zero, which was trained by just playing against each other completely without any human knowledge. And then after 100 games, I think most people expect maybe 50-50 with the win-loss r- ratio. And I think AlphaGo Zero got something like 99 or 100% to zero, uh, 100 to zero, some, something incredible which shows that the way we humans uh, accumulate information, process information, make decisions on the information we have, has flaws, right? So, you know, imagine if, imagine if we didn't have those flaws. Imagine if we, if we could sort of like automate a lot of the, the things that we have to do and have all this time to do the things that we're really passionate about and like really want to do. So um, that's, that's sort of like the, the possibility that this new world creates. And, and I encourage everyone, everyone to just embrace it because if you don't, it's just kind of, you're going to be the guy with, um, with the horse or the guy with, you know, the artist before the camera was invented. It's just, you don't want to be in that position. And so as we, we wrap it up, um, just some final thoughts about West Point um, and the future and, and the role it played for you and what the role is playing for, for future uh, graduates. So um, for me, it was the best experience that I could imagine. I, I hope that maybe one of my kids will, uh, will, will go there. I hope they're going to be... <laughs> Um, good enough given the standards that West Point has. Um, the 
think in today's times, I think what I appreciate most about West Point is the whole honor piece and the truth, being truthful, being truthful to you, being truthful to each other. So, you know, if we expand that to, to society-wise, um, I'm feeling that sort of truthfulness was replaced by the narrative, the stories that we that we say about each other, about the world, that stretch this truth or or replace it altogether with something that is is different. And you know, together with the amplification power of technology, these this this these leads to um, the breakdown in the fa- fabric of the society, which you know, America today is not America that that was when I came here, and I'm uh, I'm hopeful that we come back to truth, we come back to honesty, we come back to 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 trusting each other, loving each other uh, through all our differences, because ultimately, it's uh, you know, you look at West Point, you had diversity, you had folks from all over. It doesn't it didn't matter the color, it didn't matter where you came from, it didn't matter like nothing mattered really. The only thing that mattered was were you good enough to be there? And once you were there, um, you know, push yourself to become the best that you can be. And and these are the things that that I really appreciate about West Point and these are the things that carry me in life uh, every day. And these are the things that I hope as a society we can sort of return to and sort of build a stronger foundation for the next jump. That was some uh, great closing comments. Thank you very much, Adrian. My pleasure, Joe. It's been a pleasure and uh, congratulations on this podcast series. It's a lot of fun. It is. It's a ton of fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Through the Gray. If you like this episode, please give us five stars and follow our podcast. It helps us gain visibility and helps us share our stories.